0: Welcome to the Mediate.com podcast with Veronica Kramer. Hey there, and welcome back to another great episode of the Mediate.com podcast. Today, I'm excited because we're going to talk all about preparing parties for workplace mediation with our guest, Dr. Deborah Dupree. And here's a bit of information about Dr. Deborah. She is known as the mindset doc. She is the former director of training for Mediation Training Institute where she trained attorneys and human resource professionals in workplace mediation throughout North America. She has served as senior mentor mediator and trainer for the Department of Navy since 2000. Dr. Deborah is on the Southern California Mediation Association Board of Directors. She is an American Bar Association Dispute Resolution Section member and American Arbitration Association Mediator Employment Law Panel member and faculty at the American Arbitration Association Mediation Division. Her niche market is workplace mediation and facilitating the interactive process for employees with medical conditions. She is the host of Decoding the Conflict Mindset and also co-hosts a weekly podcast series for Aurora Training Advantage called The Agile Workplace. Dr. Deborah is a keynote speaker, most recently featured at the Paris Global Summit on Positive Psychology and Mental Health celebrating International Women's Day, and speaking on the neuroscience behind people in conflict, shifting the mindset. She is the author of your emotional potential, how you show up matters, which is available on Kindle. She has authored a couple ebooks called building a courageous culture and the psychology of conflict. And she regularly publishes articles for Aurora training advantage in brains magazine so with that dr deborah welcome to the mediate.com podcast and thanks for being here today
1: thank you so much veronica i'm really excited to be here and be part of the series with mediate.com
0: yeah i think this is going to be a really fascinating episode and you know i'm really excited because i know um, you you are, are very much involved in mindset work especially the preparation piece With parties in workplace mediation. And so, you know, I thought maybe one thing that we could start with is something that I read about on your website that I thought was really interesting. You talked about um, this phrase called building psychological safety. And I thought to myself, well, you know, workplace mediation deals with complicated issues, right? And so I thought maybe we could start there. Could you talk just a little bit about what that means to, to build psychological safety?
1: Well, th- um, you know, thanks for that, asking that question because, um, you know, I, I like to say that, <clears throat> you know, we've come a long way in building physical safety, you know, with all of our OSHA guidelines and things like that. And I go back to what my mentor, Dan Dana said at Mediation Training Institute, when he talked about, you know, increasing, um, you know, workplace safety, going way beyond physical safety, because you know, back in the days, like when the Golden Gate Bridge was built, it was, you know, it was a known calculation that people would um, die, and they would factor into so many deaths per you know, construction project, depending upon the scope. And and yet, that's the era of when you know um, steel-toed boots came into play. You know, safety goggles. You know, harnesses. You know, all this kind of stuff. And so, look at where we are today. And yet, you know, people are people. And yet, when we talk about conflict, particularly in the workplace. And you look at the number of filings of formal complaints um, or informal complaints in organizations, you know, around harassment, discrimination, retaliation, hostile workplace environment, our workplaces are rampant with a lack of psychological safety. And so when people are don't feel safe. That's when they naturally become anxious. um, They don't trust. Um, they the, the, the neuroscience behind how their brain works gets fired up and so they're operating more from their emotionally charged brain and unable to think cognitively cognitively from our prefrontal cortex and so so much uh, is um, fueled by how we show up and, you know, our, our physical behavior, the look of the eye, the grimace or the grin, you know, the smile, um, the frown, you know, the glaring look, um, you know, 55% of how we communicate is driven by our behaviors, what we see in others and what others see in us. And then 38% is our tone of voice, you know, the sarcasm, the demeaning tone, you know, the critical nature. And so 93% of how we communicate is fueled. Before we even understand or comprehend the words being said, let me throw into it some name calling, foul language, you know, uh, derisive words, uh, and we've just shot the whole lot of communication and so people, you know, depending upon how we show up in the workplace, people are fueled. In uh, oftentimes unconscious or subconscious ways that they don't even realize it and it's all too high to our drive to survive, you know, and so you know we get triggered and so are we, are we going to fight back, you know, are we going to flee. You know, we're just going to freeze and and be quiet and shut up, you know, and um, and so the dynamics uh, between workplace relationships, particularly between employees and their immediate supervisors is huge. And uh, and so I spend a lot of my time, uh, you know, that's why I spend so much time, I should say, preparing people to engage in mediation and to understand where they're coming from and how they're impacted. Uh, Because it provides an opportunity to do some coaching also and uh, a lot of my work I have a 90 day boot camp for leadership development that gets into the emotional intelligence and our how we show up and how to coach and provide you know constructive feedback and, and you know understanding the different layers of cultural competencies. Going way beyond race and ethnicity and gender and uh, age and all those kinds of things, uh, but really understanding communication styles or conflict management styles, and just recognizing people are people across the world. We're all part of the human race. So that was a long answer to your question. So, but uh, you know, we we have a long way to go to building psychological safety, and I think that's even more true today than ever because when we look at you know the effects of the pandemic, the social mess, the political divide. Um, you know, stress and anxiety and depression are at all-time highs. Not that they weren't always there, but they are significantly high. In fact, I'm getting ready to to do a program in um, uh, May that will address uh, um, EEO, I guess, staff as sort of the front line in responding to employees' concerns, and um, and in, in that case. Uh, and no disregard to the navy, uh, but you know, they, as civilians, they tend to have employees who've been around for a long time, and so our attitudes towards mental health, particularly among the younger generations, is far different than the baby boomer or older baby boomer, and um, and yet that's, uh, that's that that is who represents a lot of you know supervision and management still, and so they're rather dismissive of people's concerns when it comes to feeling stressed or anxious and. And heck, you know, look at all the uncertainty and unpredictability and unexpected nature that we've been living with. Um, I like to say those three factors, unpredictability, uncertainty, um, uh, unexpected lead to instability. And again, when we feel unstable, that's when we start feeling anxious. And again, when we are anxious, we don't trust. We don't feel open to have, you know, have co- conversations to address our concerns and feel supported. And uh, people need that even more so today because life is so uncertain
0: yeah and you know i know that in addition to being a mediator that that you're also a psychologist um and i imagine that that really heavily influences how you mediate workplace disputes and i know from spending time you know on your website in preparation for today's conversation i know that um and you've alluded to it a little bit already but i know that doing assessments in terms of um, assessments with your mediation participants during the preparation phase of a mediation is, is something that you find really, really critical to the success of a workplace mediation. I know there's, there's three different assessments that you do. I think you mentioned the, the emotional intelligence, communication styles, conflict management styles. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, that assessment phase that you do with parties before a workplace mediation?
1: Yes, um, you know, I, I, I've been at mediation for a long time, first training in the early 90s. And back in those days, we knew little to nothing about the nature of the case and certainly did not have any contact with the parties prior to mediation. Well, fortunately, that's changed. And we, um, you know, not everybody buys into this notion, but I am a strong advocate. Um, both myself and my colleague, Harold Coleman, at the AAA Uh We teach together a lot. Our thingies a lot, as he says. You know, he's a wannabe psychologist, and I'm a wannabe lawyer. Uh, But we 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 meld together for well. But um, uh, he has borrowed this phrase from somebody else, and I'm not going to say the name because I usually mispronounce the name. But um, he he says that you know behind every mediation or behind every dispute, I should say, there are really two cases: the factual case and the emotional case. And so unless you get uh, unless you're skilled and crafted in how you unearth or uncover the emotional case, you may never get to resolution of the factual case because usually people are in dispute because they feel strongly about something. And in unless there's work um, that helps shift in how they look at you know, what they feel so strongly about, they can get very positional and therefore d- dig in their heels. And again, uh, as mediators and we may spend a good part of our mediation trying to get them to unstuck their heels <laughs> and uh, to get, you know, I like to say it's like two pillars, you know, and you know, I'm on this pillar, you're on this pillar and there's a big void in between. Well, we need to come off those pillars and come close enough so we're into a circle of dance. So at least we can, okay, move around each other and um, and start having that conversation. But otherwise, if we're on these pillars with a lot of distance between us, we're, we're yelling at each other, we're shouting to be heard. And, and so I liken those analogies to what we do in mediation. And I find, uh, in fact, I I invited Harold to be a co-mediator with me um, back in February because it was a, a, a complex case of, uh, know dispute that had been going on for quite some time not just between the two people we did the mediation with but um uh the the one individual had a lot of issues with the organization and granted um based on past investigations and things like that done way before i got involved there were organizational issues and and so they were starting to work on that but that didn't absolve what was going on between um a center director and the um division director And so we were able to sit down, but because of the pre-work that we had done through the communication or the, what I call three steps to mindset shift, um, you know, we were able to dive deeper into understanding a little bit more about who they were, what was important to them, what they valued, how they were impacted by what was going on. And that all came out um, through the uh, assessments where they may not have been as comfortable to dive as deep into, you know, the, the. As I like to call, it, under the waterline, uh, like the iceberg, um, to really go there. And through that um, that experience, then uh, we actually met twice. You know, doing the assessments and then having a, a follow up conversation uh, during the course of that, we're also building rapport, and therefore, you know, they're they're establishing some trust with us as their mediators to go there. To go where they have emotional pain, and to you know go where um, it goes beyond the cognitive, to the intellectual, and that's why I start off with emotional intelligence. Um, you know, I, I stick to the four quadrants identified by Daniel Goleman. Um, you know, first self uh, awareness. Do I know myself? Do I do I understand? You know, when I'm triggered, where does that show up, and what happens to me? And oftentimes, you know, it's tied to some you know emotional trauma that we've had while we're growing up, and um, and we oftentimes, well, that was just the way it was and that's who I am. But you know, there's, you know, we don't have to dive deep into the past, but we can we can unearth enough to find out where some of that emotional pain is, because then we encounter people in our adulthood who may resemble those people who cause us emotional pain when we're young. And it gets it gets neurologically embedded. And then self-management. You know, are you reactive in the moment and you say and do whatever comes out, you know, pops in your head, comes out of your mouth. And that's usually what's hurtful, harmful and damaging. And um, and so it's about self-management, uh, taking an opportunity to pause and reflect and wait a minute, what's going on here. And then other awareness, um, being able to pay attention to what we see in others and how they're responding and being attuned to that. And that's really a hallmark of effective communication, particularly for leaders at any level, is being, you know, um, uh, not sensitive, I don't like that word, but being attuned, being alert to what's going on for people. And so often throughout my years of mediation, supervisors or managers will say, well, he or she didn't say that they were troubled by that. They didn't say that they were bothered by that. It's like, well, all you have to do is look at the behavior. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, oftentimes people don't feel safe to say anything uh, because of, uh, you know, fearing derision or, you know, ridicule or, you know, um, uh, dismissive behavior and then you know putting those three quarters together how do you manage the relationship and then that's where i go into the communication uh, styles the concept of personality is huge there are too many layers to personality but if we break it down communication styles is a key factor and we all naturally have you know um uh one or two of the four communication styles that tends to drive our behavior but we all have a little bit of everything and they may show up differently um, And, and these four communication styles exist worldwide. I I don't care what culture you're from, what race or ethnicity, what gender, um, what, you know, geographical region you're from, they, they exist worldwide. And you can see that as you watch TV and the news and, you know, these different styles that, that emerge. And then, um, uh, and there, there are some that naturally conflict, and then I, I go into the conflict management styles, which, based on Thomas Kilman's work, um, and been modified by numerous people. I, I didn't originate this, but you know, looking at animals, you know, and so we know there are five, you know, five key uh, conflict management styles that that uh, Thomas Kilman, you know, has well established, and, um, and there's a lot of correlation to the communication styles. Um, not exactly, but there's a lot of correlations. So it's interesting as we do these assessments, how you show up in conflict is not necessarily tied to your, your primary communication styles. <laughs> so, but helping people understand that and going back to this case that I just did with Harold back in February, um, by going through that, I mean, there were gender differences there were, were um, uh, ethnicity, racial differences and, um, and seniority differences in terms of longevity with the company. And uh, what we found, and they were just like, I can't believe this there were actually a lot of similarities uh, for each of them in their communication styles and in their conflict management styles and so what we were able to use that to bridge connections and um and and show how they were actually more similar than they were dissimilar. even though physically they were very dissimilar and uh but how they thought and how they expressed and how they communicated were actually more similar than dissimilar. and it turned out that they uh a so strong word but they we we found in the course of, of going through this and um, actually in the mediation that they had a common en- enemy uh, their CEO <laughs> uh in terms of her communication style was very different and they both struggled with their CEO in terms of how to communicate and getting timely response and in these kinds of things. So we were able to afford a plan of action where the two of them could work together uh and and to better lead their division and uh and and foster collaboration rather than confrontation.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And and so I was wondering, can you give maybe an example of, you know, the different communication styles? I know you, I've, I've read on your website that some communication styles are compatible, others are not. Can you maybe give an example?
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, um, <clears throat> uh, I follow a lot of... Um, it's called the DISC uh, uh, DISC, um, communication styles assessment Uh, but I've I've, um, adapted a a really simple one that I have on my website that people can quickly take and get the results from and of course like with any assessment it's really self-assessment and um, your identification things but there are known patterns that emerge depending upon your responses and so um, uh, the driver or dominant is um, uh, the the first one and this it tends to be very you know um, in in the now, get it done. You know, um, almost authoritarian. Um, I call it parsley. Uh, you know, it's um it's not firm, but it's, it can be prickly. <laughs> and oftentimes, the the dominant or driver kind of person um, can can come across as being, ooh, you know, a, a little prickly. And so that's one key thing. And in Right, wrong, or different, a lot of leaders come out of that because they're so good at decision making, sizing up situations quickly, and taking action. You definitely need that kind of person in emergency situations or decisions are needed now. Uh, but unfortunately, they too often lead with that style all the time, and uh, they're they're not um, not very attentive to emotional uh, impact. The other one is uh, um, is. P- what I call it, pepper or um, influencer. And so these are very outgoing, very people-oriented, very um, extroverted, uh, socially connected, really concerned about how people are doing. And, um, and sometimes they can be all over the place. Uh, they, they like variety. And, um, uh, and so both of those two are similar in that they are fast paced, fast action, fast wording, um, and uh, um, extroverted and, um, and, and take charge. They also speak in statements, uh, not questions. And so those two have those things in common. And then the next one is what I call the ginger, which is more of the idea amicable kind of person. Let's just all get along. And quite frankly, the the majority of our workforce tends to fall in the ginger. Really good at, um, they'll do what you tell them, but they need to know why. And um, they're very creative, but they need time. They're not really good in the moment about expressing their ideas and, and, and responding quickly to the situation. And so how you approach uh, a ginger or the idea of person is quite different than how you uh, approach the pepper or the parsley. And then the fourth one is um, what I call the garlic or it's more analytical, Um, uh, very um, methodical, step A, step B, don't try to take me to E if I don't do C and D first and um, very detail-oriented, and also take a much more historical perspective. Very careful, very thorough. Um, The analogy for um, garlics uh, is uh, paralysis by analysis. They get so stuck in the details that they can't move forward. And um, and they, like the ginger or the idea people, are uh, slower paced. They need time to think. They don't like to be pressed in the moment. Um, both are also very conflict-oriented, I mean, sorry, conflict-avoidant, um, whereas the other two um, really, you know, let's get into it right now. And um, both the garlics and gingers are the kind that will tend to ask questions to get more information to understand, you know, why. So each style has a different timing. Uh, each style has a different um, focus, uh, a different fear, an underlying need, um, how they communicate, you know, statements versus questions. And um, so the natural conflict that i uh, i've seen for well over and it was actually my mediation work that got me into communication styles not my psychology background but to me it just opened up a whole new world about understanding people and where they were coming from so the natural conflicts that i i tend to see both at work as well as um in in personal relationships are between the parsley or the, the expressive person the influencer and the garlic the analytical and um uh they're totally opposite in so many ways and yet you'll know, you hear the saying opposites attract and so those two t- tend to attract each other a lot because one offers uh, the other what they don't possess and so um unless we dive deeper and help people understand you know the, the attraction and yet the the uh, uh, uh the repel from it you know uh that um it, it can break into conflict and um oftentimes break down relationships and so um, those are two natural ones that conflict. Um, and the thing is, is that the pepper wants to get it in the moment and keep at it and the garlic with push far enough will, will react. And, and there we go, okay? And they can tend to be long drawn out conflicts. Um, the other two, parsley and ginger are the dominant and the idea amicable ones are also direct opposites. However, we don't tend to see as much conflict as we do between the garlic and the pepper because um, peppers are so dominant that gingers will just walk away. um, Both gingers and garlics are very conflict avoidant, like I mentioned, and so gingers will just walk away. And unfortunately for gingers, and I see this a lot in my private practice, they tend to um, internalize it. And so they tend to have a a lot of, uh, not to say others don't, but when I just think about my own population um, and I see this a lot in conflicts that uh, they are conflict avoidant they, they tend not to want to ruffle you know, ruffle feathers or rock the boat and um, and so they they will walk away and hold on to you know the the angst that generates some conflict and so in the meanwhile the Parsons think they've won you know <laughs> you know they didn't say anything so I must be right you know and so um, there's a lot of unresolved conflict between those two yeah.
0: That's interesting. And I'm wondering, so how do your parties respond in mediation after having done these assessments during the preparation phase? Um, when you're in mediation with them, I mean, do you feel that they've had more of a shift in awareness that impacts how they participate in mediation? Or um, what are your thoughts? What have you observed?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I've been using these um, uh, three steps of mindset shift power for about 20 years now, so I think there's, you know, I found some value in it, right? And um, <clears throat> and then in shifting my uh, my on, my assessments online to my website, um, <clears throat> when they get immediate results, but they also get some follow-up. So there's a communication guide that, okay, if I'm if you're a, a ginger, for example, and I'm a parsley, then I get tips on how do I communicate with you differently. And so people get that before we go into mediation too. And I I, I, I encourage them, I ask them to actually look at that and, and look at what you now learn. So they learn about the other parties in conflict um, in their mediation too. And uh, and we even I even go over it uh, in, as part of our opening in the mediation and just remind them to keep these things in mind about how can they approach the person differently maybe than what they have based on what they now know. And so, yeah, um, um, again, Harold and I are both advocates about you know um, preparing the parties for mediation starts way before the mediation and shifting the mindset actually starts you know from some of your first contact with the parties and and i just explained to parties that you know uh, this is my approach uh it's part of my preparation for mediation and i have just you know found that both as a psychologist and a mediator that these are valuable tools that many people don't know about you might have studied if, if you took a, if you had a communications major in, in college, you know, and maybe in, in some organizations, they've done the DISC assessment. But what I find so often is that, quite frankly, the problem with a lot of assessments, and um, this includes the Myers-Briggs type indicator, oh, I'm ENFF or FJ. It's like, okay, but what does that mean? You know, uh, how, how do you use that information? And so that's where I try to work with parties to really, it's not it's not about labeling, that's the last thing I want to do, but these are indicators of how you show up. And you know what drives your your mindset, and then also how you come across other people, and so it's that dynamic between the two of you that really are is is what have you in common, but you're seeing things very very different, and so I do find that it really helps people understand that in. Uh, And then I also emphasize that this is not just about the mediation, but how you move forward uh, in your future relationship, because that's one thing about workplace mediation is that there usually is a future relationship ongoing that we need to protect and maintain uh, for the health of the individuals as well as the health of the organization. Um, But how they can then use that information with the teams that they lead and, and how they communicate with others. And again, because of the like in my mediation, I talked about in February, um, because we did do the assessments, it helped them. Because I said, well, you know, now that you know what you know, where do you think your your boss would show up? And it was through that discussion that they both talked about it. And the, well, you know, and then they both agreed that um, you know, think that she's probably driven more by the analytical side of it, um, and not that each of them didn't have that, but. Uh, you know, again, the strength of the numbers also sort of, you know, um, identifies how strong somebody is in that style. And so they could clearly see, you know, her behavior and how she was responding to things, etc. was really indicative of that, that analytical or garlic style. Therefore, then they were able to then, you know, um, identify how they could show up with her differently and approach her differently based on what they gained. In fact, I've done a couple of follow-ups since February, and I'm going to be doing a follow-up on Monday um, with them again, to say, how are things going? You know, we want to give them enough time to succeed, but we don't want to give them too much time to fail. Um, and so uh, check them back with them again.
0: Yeah, and you know, the the more that um, I hear you share about the different assessments and, and whatnot, I mean, I was reflecting back on something you said earlier in our conversation about how there's really two parts to a mediation, right? There's the emotional part and the factual part. And it seems like these tools are really great for helping parties manage the emotional part. Am I am I getting that right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: And so I'm wondering from a mediator's standpoint. I mean, you know, you're a psychologist. Um, many mediators don't have you know, that background. I mean, does someone have to have a psychology background or behavioral science background in order to be able to incorporate something like these different types of assessments, like emotional intelligence, communication styles, conflict management styles, to incorporate that into, you know, their, their, their mediation process?
1: Yeah, excellent question. Um, you know, I would say no, it's just like, um, you know, it's about training. It's about understanding the tools that you have available to you. How do you interpret them? How do you use them? How do you express them? And, um, uh, I haven't got to a certification process yet with my three steps to mindset shift. Maybe that's something that will come along the way. Um, but I'm, I'm just thinking of other assessment tools that I've been trained in. You know, there are some that you do have to be trained as a psychologist, like the MMPI that we use for psychological evaluations, particularly in custody uh, cases or other, um, you know, personal injury cases or workplace cases. And I I do that as well, but you have to be, you know, you have to have certain education to do that. Um, but then, uh, well, at least in today's world, uh, like the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, MBTI, um, you know, I studied that way back in graduate school and and, uh, uh, and got trained in it and, you know, became qualified to administer that assessment. Well, now it's different. You have to go specific training in order to order the test and so forth. But, um, you know, they don't have the requirement for the psychology background as long as you get trained and certified. There's another one I like to use called the Conflict Dynamics Pro- Profile or CDP. And that comes out of the um, Confl- Conflict Dynamics um, Institute at uh, Eckerd College in St. Petersburg. And um, uh, gosh, over 20 years ago, I was working with um, Dan Dana again and met Craig Grundy and, and Craig has since left uh, Eckerd, but uh, we did a swap. I, I trained him in uh, um, the MTI um, Uh, manager as mediator and self as mediator programs and he trained me in the cdp but again it requires training what does this mean how do you use the results how do you explain results particularly when they're not very favorable Um, but i like that one and i encourage people to take that one because it's very behaviorally oriented and so um, people can change behaviors it's harder to change personality and so um, again it's all about awareness and that's why i put so much emphasis into mindset shift you know, we can shift how we, you know, view things and look at things, but we need information. Sometimes we don't know what we don't know, uh, and it's all about learning. So, so yeah, p- people can learn to, you know, particularly, you know, around these three steps to mindset shift. Um, um, there is a more robust uh, emotional intelligence uh, assessment that's available um, through Talent Smart. And um, if you buy their book, Emotional Intelligence 2.0, there's actually a promo code in the back where people can take the assessment. And they also provide training to be qualified to administer their emotional intelligence assessment. Um, the communication styles, like I mentioned, um, you know, I, I use DISC. There's several other versions out there, um, but uh, uh, you know, again, it's it's about being trained in it uh, and getting certified to do so. And then the conflict management styles, I'm, I imagine there is probably some certified training in that, but that's a, a little bit more straightforward. And Thomas Gilman designed it to be that way a long time ago. But these are these are assessments available, and again, I've, I've adapted them into my three steps as a, a progression. Progression so that um, uh, particularly in its application to you know getting people ready for mediation, and I just find my mediations go so much better. In fact, when Harold and I got done with the mediation, because I was like a little trepidation, you know, uh, heading into it. Um, and it's like, oh gosh, this has been going on for a long time, and you know, she's you know, the one person filed lots of complaints and, and claiming that there were still microaggressions going on. It's like, oh, okay, how are we doing this? And and uh, and yet, when we, because of the preparation we'd done, in debriefing with Harold, it's like I didn't even feel like I was working. You know, it was like just having a conversation, and that's really what we wanted to do. It wasn't hard. It wasn't you know, it was it was really actually a pretty pleasant experience, Uh, but it wouldn't have been that way, I don't think, had we not done the prep work.
0: Yeah, and the thought that popped in my mind as you were sharing that too was, you know, even more than preparation is really just um, being proactive, right, like you, you know, through your years of experience doing, you know, all these mediations, you've noticed trends along the way and then you've allowed that to influence your process, so that you can basically, you know, um, you know, avoid the pitfall before it happens, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah.
1: So it's really, you know, I, I remember when I first started teaching ADR for local law school, and my my second and third year law school students were going oh my gosh, I had no idea there was so much psychology to this mediation. It's like, duh, you're working with people, you know, <laughs> you know. And so uh, I, I, uh, I strongly feel everybody should be required to take a few psychology courses, but um, I don't get to define the curriculum, but um, uh, you know, hopefully uh, USC is going to take me up. Finally, they approached me a few years ago about uh, teaching a class on the psychology of conflict. And that's why actually one of the reasons I, I wrote an article uh, for a presentation I did back for the uh AAA International Dispute Resolution Center. And um uh and it actually is based on the work of um, of course, I'm gonna blank on this name now, a barrister from England who's done a lot of work around the psychology of people in conflict too, long before I did, but um with my work, I just, you know, I'm I'm curious and I'm passionate about you know, helping people understand where we go when we're in conflict and and how to redirect that. But that was the topic of my Paris presentation just a few weeks ago.
0: Well, very cool. Well, Dr. Deborah, this has been, you know, so fascinating and so much fun. Um, how can others learn more about your work? Well, thank
1: you. I appreciate that opportunity. Um, well, I guess, as I said, well, maybe I will be developing a certification process for <laughs> my process, you know, what a bad idea. Um, but I, I do, uh, well, first of all, my website is relationships hyphen at hyphen work.com. And um if people were to visit that, they could learn more about some of the, the programs I offer. But uh, going to the resources, uh, I do have a podcast on decoding the conflict mindset, as you mentioned. Uh, but that's where the three assessments are, it's free of charge. And um and so I invite people to go there and take it. And uh and then uh you know I do offer uh, coaching uh sessions to um lawyers, mediators who want to dive deeper into this, maybe look at some of the things that get in their way about being as effective as they want to in mediation, but then also how to how to shift people using some of the tools and strategies that I've developed and have found so effective over the course of time. Um, and, uh, and then too, I'm on LinkedIn, you know, Dr. Deborah Dupree and uh, Instagram and Facebook, as well as Twitter and all, of, all under the, the forms of my name, Dr. D. Dupree, you know, whatever, you know, so, uh, but love to, to connect I actually have a um an agile lawyer mediator group on LinkedIn and so I put out special things to to my group there and so people are invited to um uh, connect with me there and, and and you do have to ask to join but you know i take a quick look it sounds like a good fit to me you know and so it's all about learning and uh and and continuing to live and apply what we we do so we grow
0: very cool, very cool. Well, like I said, Dr. Deborah, this has been so much fun, so fascinating, I think has, um, you know, given me the incentive to learn more. So I really appreciate you coming on the Mediate.com podcast today.
1: Well, thank you so much, Veronica. And again, it's such a pleasure to be on the Mediate.com podcast. I know it's a a newer venture and uh, just had the wonderful opportunity to interview um, your CEO, Colin Rule. Uh, uh, for my podcast on decoding conflict mindset. So that'll be coming out in a couple months as well. And do take my three steps to mindset shift.
0: Very cool. Uh, yeah, I'll have to go check it out.
1: <laughs> well, very good. Thank you so much.
0: All right, friends. Well, that wraps up another great episode of the Mediate.com podcast. We'll talk to you next time. This podcast was brought to you by Mediate.com. For more information about Mediate.com's programs and content, please visit our website at www.mediate.com.